Hi everyone, I'm Julie Lindsay, Executive Coach at Speechworks, a communication and selling skills coaching firm that teaches professionals how to craft and deliver complex messages in a simple, persuasive way. As communication experts, one of the key challenges we come across is training young people. Raised in the digital era with laptops, tablets and smartphones as natural appendages, Young people are highly connective through social media and extraordinarily tech-savvy. But some think these attributes can make it more difficult to connect with the real world. One of our major clients has thought a lot about these things as he navigates a burgeoning new tide of young people entering the workforce. He's Travis Dommert, Senior Vice President of Talent Development at Jackson Healthcare, the third largest healthcare staffing company in the United States. The company impacts more than 7 million patients in over 1,300 healthcare facilities each year. Travis, welcome. Thank you, Julie. First off, I'm kind of fascinated by Jackson's quite unique approach to what you call a value-centric culture. Tell us more about that and how millennials fit into that picture. Okay. Well, our our values are are fairly simple, and that's maybe um, part of the story here and how to make values effective and part of your culture. But we have just three values at Jackson Healthcare, and it's others first, wisdom, and growth. And we would say if there could only be one value, it'd be others first. It is the most telling of our culture and how that fits into millennials. Well, quite frankly, that would be the the foundation of our culture, whether we had um, people of any generation here, um, millennials or not. But I do think it, it has really resonated with them because it says we're here to serve and we're here to think long term and we're here to get better. And those three values are, are as true to our founder, as to his sons, as to our team, as to our new hires. And it's compelling everything that we do. Excellent. Now, it's estimated that 75% of the global workforce will be millennials by 2025. We've got 10,000 baby boomers leaving jobs every day. Amazing. That's a lot of experience going out of the door. Does that concern you, or do you see it as an opportunity? And how do you go about getting this new generation up to speed? Well, it's a yes and a yes. I'll be honest, we don't call them millennials. Um, and so we might want to talk about that, too, at, at some other point, about how to engage younger folks in the workforce. I love it. Tell me okay. <laughs> well, so, uh, you know, some of this is really the beliefs at the top of the organization. Uh, it just so happens Shane Jackson, our president, is quite a historian. He's very well read. And, and he has found, if you look at generations and generations over the last several hundred years, uh, or, or even farther ago, you're, what you're going to find is that young people were often characterized in ways by the older generations that we often characterized Millennials. Um, now, it's not to say that all young generations are the same or that all generations are the same. They're not. They definitely grew up in a specific context. But he would say if you want to engage an audience, um, be careful about labeling them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And millennial does have a negative connotation in many cases. So many of our folks who are, I guess, millennials, you know, would not say, oh, yes, that's me. They're, they're, you know, it's, it's, um, it can be adversarial almost. It's something that we, as you say, an older generation kind of foisted upon them. They're not right. necessarily going Yeah, they didn't claim that. that. Yes. So anyway, you know, we may just talk about our, our younger people. 
Absolutely. And and there are very distinct differences too between the millennials and Gen Z. And so again, we could we could talk about that further if you wanted to. But anyway, our numbers do reflect that. And then losing some of our 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 senior leaders um, to the natural attrition of retirement. Like we want to celebrate, but we're going to miss them. Uh, we're going to miss them personally. Uh, we we had. Two C-level folks retire last year. Both had been here over 10 years each, um, I believe 10 and 13 years respectively. And so you're going to miss them personally. You're going to miss them professionally. You're going to miss their wisdom. You're going to miss the insight as a growing company. We've been through tremendous change in our first 19 years, and they were here for a lot of that change. So it, it means... Um, you know, we have to think a lot about succession planning, a lot about developing future generations of leaders. We thankfully have been given ample notice by our senior leaders as they're retiring. So right now our transitions typically last for months, not days. And that's really they're helpful. Mentoring. Are they mentoring as they leave? Is that happening too? They are. And I'm not going to say that our, our senior level executives are, are being replaced by, you know, 25 and 30-year-old rising leaders. Um, they're, they're also being replaced by pretty seasoned leaders. But nonetheless, you're just talking about this transition that's happening. And uh, generally, it's dramatic. Yeah. So, you know, yes, we, we are concerned about um, the amount of insight and knowledge and, and skill that, that leaves us when someone retires. Um, and then you've got a whole new workforce, and that's coming in bringing great opportunity. Um, boy, they're, they're bringing a different perspective. They're, they're very tech-savvy, as everyone knows. Yes. It's their native language as opposed to something we have to learn. Um, to say that they're idealistic, many, many are, but if nothing else, they're very purpose-driven. Whether that's idealism or realism, I'm not going to debate, but they are very committed to making sure what they do matters, and they want to know how does what they do matter. Um, so you had to really rethink your training mechanisms and style, I, ultimate, I suppose. Ultimately, yes. Right? And, and I think, you know, even it gets down to the mechanics. If we want to talk about, you yes. know, how is training evolving? Yes, that's what I was going to ask exactly. What's the difference, say, between training a young person yeah. uh, compared to the older generation? Well, I think the interesting thing is we talk about how we're evolving our training programs. We have something here called Jackson Healthcare University. Um, it was developed um, by just an incredibly experienced leadership development expert. Um, he came in, he developed our whole curriculum, but it was, it was still very traditional in the sense that it was classroom-based. You would come to class for one, two, three days. Um, many of those classes were series. And... There was no remote option. There was no micro-learning. There was no significant technology, and it wasn't always experiential. You touched there upon micro-learning. Tell us more about that. What does that involve? Yeah, so, I mean, we may talk about whether attention spans have diminished or not. Mm -hmm. And, again, that's where I don't tend to pick on millennials. What I, what I see in the way we're evolving our training is that I think it's getting better for everyone. So we may say, wow, this younger generation is not just going to sit there and absorb eight hours of classroom-style training. But I would argue when we, when we change it to something that's more consumable, maybe they're getting some pre-work at their desk. They're getting sent content, a webinar. Um, they're coming in and we're giving them an experience where we put them into teams. And, they're, and they also get you know, breaks every 90 minutes. Well, breaks, I would, really? I would say our... our <laughs> Are more seasoned, but our you know our older team members. Well, they appreciate that too. They right. learn better that way too. They all really actually want it. I just think that we're 
we're realizing we have to evolve how everyone learns. So and it, that's interesting. You're saying that older people are actually benefiting from what some of the expectations of your younger workforce are. I believe so. So more bite-sized training. Um, that's, that's fascinating uh, development for you, I guess. And it's much more experiential learning. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think there's plenty of research that shows that adults in general learn by doing. Um, That's one of the things my daughter told me, who is a young person, and she quote said when I asked her about this interview, I definitely think millennials or young people learn more from doing rather than being told. That was her quote, and I yeah. think that's pretty, that's pretty spot on, right? I agree, I agree wholeheartedly with one exception. Okay. And um, I believe all adults learn right. better that way. Right. Right. I just don't know why we... Didn't do it sooner, you know, because this is not necessarily a tech thing. Um, yes, we can now push more learning in small bite-sized pieces. It can be more real-time. We have access to whether it's massive learning platforms or it's huge libraries of content. Um, for example, we use uh, LinkedIn Learning. We started piloting that platform a couple of years ago. And, and to be able to um, change the offering that we have at JHU from 18 classes to 7,000 classes, you know, that's a major thing. Yes. That was not just an improvement. It's a radical um, change. It's a transformation. And so now someone could say, um, A, I want to go learn something. What's something that could help me in my job? And now this, you know, AI engine built into LinkedIn Learning is looking at their job title, the skills they have, and every week it's saying, here's a course that could help you grow. Here's another course that could help you grow. And so it's just trying to marry those two because we also say um, this experiential learning is, is amazing. When I put five people on a team and I give them a task and maybe some background information, and then I have them compete against three other teams of five people, well, you know, we haven't figured out exactly how to do that online or using technology, but boy, we, if we can get them into a, a good old classroom, you know, it's it's melding these new learning styles with some of the old ones, and um, we're finding wow, engagement goes way up, and and people laugh and they cry and they argue and you know and 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 they fight to win. Um, and we do that in the context of learning. And again, this is very interesting. Young people have grown up with video games. They are very familiar with the concepts of praise, prizes, immediate gratification, if you like. Yeah. So you are seeing that not only they are satisfied by that, but the older workforce too. Right. Yeah, when you gamify something, everybody likes to... I, I sh- maybe that's a gross generalization, but I would generalize and say everybody likes to play a game. I don't know people who don't like fun, who don't like a little competition, who don't like um, learning something new. It's just a different paradigm of helping them discover it as opposed to uh, tell, tell, tell. Now, talk to me about communication. Do you see that um, younger people have a different approach to communicating because again my daughter said yeah we're just very informal they seem more happy obviously they've grown up in the culture with the 280 character limit on social media but they do seem more uncomfortable with uh, impromptu situations Mm. rather than those kind of set hours long meetings yes the set hours the long meetings i think the other thing that's really changed and this is not just in the last few years but i think about since you know i went into the corporate world years and years ago um the main communication mechanism was still the memo and so you could write a memo and then sit it on your desk and think about it you knew that even if it was going to be almost real time the reality is it was going to be hours 
from the time you thought it and composed it to the time someone consumed it. And so you could have a, a chance there for a second thought. In fact, you might even go racing after the mail cart to say, you know, let me have that back. Because I was a little heated. You know, maybe I said something I really need to say in person yes. or I didn't mean or, or whatever. Um, and so you combine all this real-time communication. Um, everything's instant. And it does tend to be less formal. I'm not sure exactly why. Um, it you can write a formal email, but people rarely do. So, yeah, I think informal is probably a keyword to capture that. And you were just showing me now a staircase right here in Jackson Healthcare, which is kind of part of your design for people to kind of bump into each other and yes. talk. And it's fascinating to me because we have SpeechWorks actually have an impromptu workshop, and we find it really resonates with um, companies that have a lot of younger people. But I'm now listening that the older people are interested too. Um, but they benefit because they like to have those elevator conversations mm. or the staircase conversations. And we kind of train them how to do well with that because often it's just a truncated conversation instead of that long sitting at the desk spiel. Right. Yes. Well, I think it's great that you're offering that training because effective communication is not something that we're born with. That's right. And having been through uh, your programs and having you all uh, train our leaders – um, it's just amazing to hear the transformation and effectiveness of a well-curated message, a well-structured message, and one that has been simplified. Absolutely. You just, the whole idea of, you know, the, what does, uh, what do you all say? The, um, simplicity a wealth of is the ultimate oh, <laughs> sophistication. Yes, right? simplicity is the ultimate <laughs> sophistication. I was thinking a wealth of information leads to a poverty of attention. Yes. And so mastering the soundbite, mastering that short little conversation is a huge skill and it's a great opportunity and i think that's actually something maybe our younger folks don't do as well because so much of their communication may have been digital that now here we just designed you know an enormous building where you're going to run into people and you're going to run into people of all titles and tenures and departments um, on right, purpose. that's the other point, too, is you're going to run into the big boss on the stairs, right? Yes. Well, we hope so. Yes. Because the, people want that exposure. Mm-hmm. They, they, they want to see their leaders. They want to know what their leaders really think. They, um, and many times that puts a little pressure on the leader, but, you know, they kind of want to know, are, are we doing okay? And if the, the leader, you know, I just ran into her and she seemed good. Well, then good. It's a good day, you know. <laughs> um, I know when I worked at Ford Motor Company when I was in college, you know, you didn't see the executives. They were in a separate wing of a separate building. Absolutely. They had separate elevators to a separate garage. You had to make an appointment. Absolutely. And you better be important to get on the agenda. And so now all this mixing, yeah, you. I think there is an opportunity there, actually, for us to really improve um, the caliber of our informal short communication just to make it more effective. I don't know that I would generalize and say, you know, no millennials are effective at that because uh, I think some of our most impactful um, members of our communications team, for example, are younger. Um, they understand it's really important how we craft a message. Right. It's and really so when important. it comes to formal presentations, which obviously we're not going to completely boot out of the door, um, how do you find that younger people manage with those? Are they better or worse at public speaking or are they like just like all the rest of us as terrified as uh, and would rather die than do it because according to research right yeah uh, the um the studies are fascinating you know how how horrified people are of giving presentations and public speaking um 
I think they're better at it than we were. I do think one of the things they have the benefit of is access to really effective communicators. And so if if someone says, oh, um, even if it's someone who's deceased, I mean, uh, we could say Steve Jobs like did these amazing product releases. Well, I can say, oh, great. And by tomorrow, our new young person has already watched them all. Yes. They can just look it up on the phone instantaneously. They, they got it. To. Yes. Every presentation that's ever been captured, every, you know. And TED Talks. TED Talks. Mm-hmm. You know, highly, highly curated messages. They get to see how that's done. And now, have they studied it and are they perfecting it? Well, no, probably not without some training, some guidance, some mentorship. But at least they get to see how it's done well. I, I probably didn't see a world-class presenter in the first 15 years of my career. Right. You know, maybe you went to a conference and you saw a keynote and you're like, oh, my gosh. Like, she was captivating. How did she do that? But then you wouldn't see another one for three years, you know. And, and now, oh, <laughs> yeah. I could go actually watch five of them in the next 20 minutes. Yes, that's, that's fascinating and so right. Now, as you know, retaining millennials or younger people is something of a challenge because it seems to be that they're ready to move on quickly if they aren't satisfied with mm-hmm. what they're experiencing in the workplace. And some su- some studies suggest that they're more willing to stay if they see benefits like good training, um, access to leadership within sure. a short time. They have bigger expectations, it seems. Is that reflected in your experience? Um. I think that's a good generalization mm-hmm. uh, because we have lots of data that shows that um, people are willing to leave jobs sooner than perhaps they used to be. And, and when we go to pull resumes, it's not uncommon to find a candidate who's had a different job every single year. Now, we don't hire such a person. And it doesn't matter what the job is. They just simply don't get consideration. Um, we're looking for at least three years on average. So you're and looking that, for staying power. You're absolutely. You're looking for someone who isn't flitting from one place to another. So regardless of their age and experience, we do look for somebody who's already demonstrated some ability to pick something and stay with it at least for a while. You know, three years is really not a long time. It, 20 years ago, if I had said, oh, we want somebody who's been at least in their job on average of three years, someone would have thought, why? Like, what are you talking about? Ten years, you know. Anyway, that's not really realistic anymore, but we think at least three years is. And the main thing is because there aren't any perfect jobs. There aren't any perfect companies. And you're going to run into some sort of trouble or change if you stick around at least six to 12 months in most places. Now, if you're leaving the job every six to 12 months, what it tells me is as soon as it's hard or as soon as it's uncomfortable, um, you're leaving. Well, that's actually when the learning starts. So what we know is you learn when you get uncomfortable. And you become more resilient. So anyway, that's just, you know, I think table stakes is you you do actually have to stick around a little while. But the other thing is just the expectation. Is that what they want? Do they want to change jobs every year? And I think the answer is no. And so we we saw some research about a year and a half ago. um, I believe it was in Forbes. And and actually, it, it pulled two data points that were pretty compelling. One was it was looking at the population of 25 plus aged college graduates and Department of Labor stats were showing what their average tenure was. And what it was showing is actually trending up. It was trending up from 4 to 4.2 to 4.6 to I think it was almost a um, 5.2 years. And so for us, that was kind of a wake-up call. Like, wow, if the average adult is staying actually longer, um, then it's possible. And what's it, what was it attributed to? 
That didn't have any attribute to okay. it. It was just purely the data. Mm-hmm. Um, meanwhile, this article pointed out, it said, well, look at some of our um, our quote-unquote best places to work, most exciting tech-savvy companies, um, you know, and it, and it looked at a lot of Silicon Valley companies. So uh, Facebook, Amazon, um, uh, Google, and it was showing the average tenure there was between one and two years. And so... It, it, it made me wonder, like, okay, well, those are companies attracting a lot of younger people. Do they? But anyway, what their argument was is, is based on some research. It said, we don't really think that people want short jobs, but they are willing to leave to find what they yes. do want. What they want is they significance. <laughs> yes, they want significance and they want growth. And so then it gets into, okay, um, can we talk about significance and growth? Yeah, we're, we're a mission-based, values-oriented company. So we talk about the significance of why we do what we do every day, all day, and that attracts a lot of young people. And then we've got to give them those growth opportunities. Are they less patient? Yeah, probably. I think that might be fair characterization. Um, if somebody's been doing a job and I've done it, I've learned to do it really well, it's time for me to get something else to do. And that's a challenge. But it's a good challenge. Um, I think that's a challenge to our, our more senior leaders is, is how do you cultivate an environment of learning? And again, the great thing is I don't actually have to completely restructure the organization. I give you a LinkedIn learning account. I can give, you know, ask you to host a lunch and learn. I could ask you to maybe get involved in a stretch project where maybe you bring some of your tech savvy or you know, some of your different perspective. Um, how do we make this thing uh, connect with your peers? And so I think it's through stretch assignments. I think it's through continuous learning. Um, and then, yes, you also need to give them a career path. So I guess we're going to know in the next few years whether all this worked for you. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, you know, and that's where I think sustaining growth is, has been based largely on continuing to attract and retain younger people. Um, but I would say this, for anybody who's listening and you're thinking, okay, that's nice, but the other thing you could do is just go hire a different young person. Let them turn. Just develop your onboarding and Don't your selection. Don't be afraid of that. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid of it. And the only warning I would have if you're thinking, is it, is it easier and less expensive to just go hire somebody else or to actually figure out how to keep them, is that most people grossly underestimate the cost of turnover. They look at the cost of hiring, not the cost of mishiring and turning people over. And, that, and that's where... One of the internal projects we did last year was looking at that. And the question was, is it one-time salary? Is that a fair cost of turnover? Is it more or is it less? And when we got done, our new number is 5 to 10x. We believe for our hires, um, you can add a zero to their salary. That's the cost. That's the value associated with the investment you're making. So if I was to hire a 50000 or $70,000 um, person who's – got a few years of experience and let them go because I didn't give them a hundred and ninety or two hundred dollar account so that they could continue learning or I didn't allow them to get on some stretch projects. Uh, hopefully people would realize that's really foolish. That was Travis Dommert, Senior Vice President of Talent Development at Jackson Healthcare, talking to us about training young people in the workforce. This is Julie Lindsay. We'll see you all again for our next Speechworks podcast. Bye for now.